0: Welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today's co-host, making his debut in the Philcraft studio, George. Master Sergeant George Bell.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: Good afternoon, George. Hello, how are you, Mike? Welcome to the Philcraft studio. Oh, thank you. It's a room with a table and microphones.
1: This is uh, very surreal.
0: This is very surreal that you literally, for the last years three, four, five years have been talking about this moment and here you are. I have. I know. It's crazy. You you, you were retired already on active duty. You were that guy. You were already checked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys don't know who um, George Bell is, Master Sergeant George Bell, George Bell and me served, George Bell and I served together in the Big shithole of Libya. Yes. And um, we ran counterterrorism stuff in Libya together. And then we kind of never lost contact. And then he just retired, but he's still on active duty.
1: You're you're, you're yeah. technically still on active duty. Two months left. December 31st will be my retirement date. After Where you're that, officially out. Officially out.
0: And so right now you're on terminal leave. Correct? Terminal leave, yes. Yes. So today, the the cool thing about today's podcast, outside of all the other stuff that we do that's cool, is um, George Bell and myself are going to tell war stories. And you're going to hear about George Bell's experiences and kind of all the cool stuff that he's been through in his career and uh, get a different take because George has a different career path. And I'm interested to hear this story because it's like war stories but it's also here in a different perspective. So are you ready for this, George? Yes, I am. This is really cool. So George, you right now are a master sergeant, but let's back up. Let's let's back up to the beginning.
1: Ooh, okay.
0: So like day zero, before you came in the Army, um, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I always had it in my mind to serve something. Like always, you know, G.I. Joe's growing up. You're hunting with, I'm hunting with my dad in the woods. You always had that mentality of like, you know, oh, I got camouflage on GI Joe. This is so cool. So I decided to try the, you know, the college route first. Graduated to high school. Thought I could be a pharmacist because because I worked at a pharmacy. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, I got this dude. It's like right here. I I, I was like, okay, I I deliver medicine. I count some pills, you know? Mm -hmm. So I had a. Wait, so your first job was in a pharmacy? My first official job, I was a dishwasher at this like restaurant marina in Toronto, Ohio. I forget the name of it. But then uh I got this job at uh it was called A and B Sunset Pharmacy in Steubenville, Ohio is where I'm from. And I was hired as a uh delivery driver. And then as time went on as I worked there, I uh was in the back helping count pills, restock shelves, things like that. So I learned a little bit of like the pharmaceutical kind of uh, world. And uh, then I got the idea of like, oh, I want to be a pharmacist when I you know, grow up. And you're how old at this time? Uh, I was uh, 17, 18. Oh. Yeah, so. Uh, hmm. This, uh, Ohio Northern University is like one of the top rated pharmacy colleges out there. Yeah. So there was this old man that lived in our town and he was kind of like a like on the board or whatever board of trustees you, you I think that's how you would say it yeah and uh my uh you know my GPA wasn't high it was I was taught fourth in my class uh, whoa, but, whoa yeah it's a big deal you know but i didn't have the uh the grades like the 4.0s that you need to get in this college so uh he got me in <laughs> and uh i basically went there for a year Got put on academic probation. It was hard. I mean, it was uh, chemistry, calculus, physics. I mean, all these hard uh, sciences, and um, I just couldn't keep up. I wish I could say, "Oh yeah, I partied and I had a good time." But it was like struggle bus with the uh, studying and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. did the academic probation thing. Took a couple classes in the summer, and I was like, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna join the army. Just got with the recruiter and. You know, one thing led to another. I went to Pittsburgh MEPS. They tried to get me in, uh, like, some aircraft, a, uh, anti-missile, whatever it was, MOS. And I guess my hearing test was a little off, so I couldn't get that. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Yeah. What does that even mean? I, so I, It was weird back in, like, uh, you took, like, you went through MEPS, and, you you know, you went through your, yeah, like, your yeah. physical. MEPS is the process yeah. and
0: station where they basically process And you. it
1: was some anti-missile MOS and they were like, well, you, your your hearing is off on this part of your test. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, what else do you have? And I was like, well, let me try infantry, airborne. I don't care. Just I want to get in the Army. I want to go. Let's get this ball rolling. And I guess my recruiter may have been a SOAP guy or knew about it, but he was like, hey, read this and uh, tell me what you think. So I read the psychological operations description, and I was like, has airborne? Okay. Sign me up. I'll do it. I don't care. And then you just wanted in. I just wanted in. I just wanted to get in. And, and how old were you at this time? I was nineteen. Oh, okay. I just turned 19. Well, no, I was eighteen.
0: So a little little baby, baby yeah, George. I was
1: just you know, young young lad out there, not innocent, <laughs> had no clue what was going on.
0: So you read the description in psyops, and and what did the description
1: say? It was on the lines of like you know special operations command Yeah.
0: they use words like yeah like they just kind of bumped speed it up like and special
1: yeah ops. you're engaging with a, a foreign audience and you're changing trying to change their behavior and how they act day to day and this and that so i was like okay that sounds cool sure i'll do that and hmm. uh, with an airborne option yeah because the, the MOS is an airborne MOS so i was like okay wait wait
0: the MOS
1: the so the job of psyops is
0: an airborne it has
1: a yeah Oh, okay. Yeah. But not everybody in Psyops is airborne, right? Uh, every 37 Fox is the MOS. They have to be qualified. airborne qualified. Yeah. Ooh. But if you're like a support element or a support guy, then I think now they're making everybody airborne qualified. Yeah, yeah. So. What do you mean?
0: So you, you mean a support guy in uh, Psyops? Like a, like a supply, admin guy, coach NBC. supply guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, this is interesting because. Um, uh, at the time, you didn't even really know what a psyops. I had no something. idea, I
1: mean, no clue.
0: Okay, so okay, continue. Uh, I'm interested.
1: Uh, so, went to basic training at uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. Ooh, October I've been PLDC.
0: I did P- PLDC
1: there. Uh, so that was eye opener. You know, you just never really, I, no clue. I mean, I never left my hometown. Oh no, I left my hometown like a couple of trips, but you know, traveling on my own, going to this new world of the army, and Ooh. you're you're flying into like Fort Knox, Kentucky at like zero like three in the morning and they're putting you in this barracks you You shaving your head yeah like they're just poking your chest you're coming in and like you're waking up people in these bunks and they're like waking up looking at people crying (laughs) it was so weird it was just like the weirdest like
0: wait wait so your basic training what and ait was there
1: no the ait was at fort bragg oh so your basic was there yeah basic was at fort fort knox so do the basic thing you know you're Regular stuff. They're yelling at you. You're yeah. up early. You're shining boots. You know the whole marching. you the drill instructor, drill sergeants coming in yelling at you. Then you got your little road marches you do, and then you got KP duty. You're washing pots and pans, stealing cake. Just, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're like you're you're, t- you're you're trying to talk to the civilian guys and talk about like, hey, what was the score of the game on yesterday? Because we get no news. Yeah, and you're just like, isolated, and they were just smuggling in the information to us. So <laughs> nice. So after that I go home. It was during Christmas. So I go home for uh like 10 days leave. Mm-hmm. And then uh after January first, we uh, uh I flew into so before I left, uh it was funny in basic training my right. drone search. We were like setting up our travel for the next uh phase. And uh he's like, Yeah, just fly into Raleigh. You'll find a you know, it's easy. There's a shuttle buses there, it'll take you to Fort Bragg. And okay. he had you fly into Raleigh. Yes. Oh. I had no clue. I'm just. I have no idea where Raleigh's yeah, at. Roger man. that, Sergeant. Yeah. I so I get home, do the, the Christmas leave, and I leave. I leave Pittsburgh Airport, flying to Raleigh, and I'm wearing my. You had to wear, every time you travel, you had to wear your class A's, and we had. To wear Ooh, the, the, I remember those days. Remember that the Ooh. green, the yeah. greens. And uh, I fly into uh, Raleigh Airport. Lost. I'm looking for like, hey, Fort Bragg over here, or you know, there was nothing. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to get a taxi. A taxi was like a hundred dollars or something, you know, to get Fayette. bucks. Yeah, to get like Fayetteville because it's like an hour away." Yeah,
0: so <laughs> you could have flown to Fayetteville.
1: I'm walking around like just trying to find something, and all of a sudden, this guy is like, "Hey, are you going to Fort Bragg?" I was like, "Uh, yeah." Um, he said, like, "You need a ride?" I was like, "Yeah, sure, I will take a ride." And I was like, "Can I ask who you? Like, who are you?" You know, he's like, "Oh, I'm so and so. I forget his name, but they were." <laughs> he was a part of an ODA mm-hmm. that was dropping guys off at the airport. And he saw me walking around. He's like, he's like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going to AIT at Fort Bragg for PSYOP. He's like, okay, I know exactly where I attacked. get in the van. He said, you can get in the van or you can drive in the Humvee. The other guy was driving the Humvee. They're dropping the team off. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll, 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 I'll drive in the van. So get in the van finds out he's like this, he's a medic for one of the ODAs there. I think it was third group at the time. Uh huh. And he just told me everything of, I needed to know. Like, hey, you're you know, you're at psyop. You know, this is a part of special operations. You know, make sure you this that. He's giving you AIT. the G two, yeah, the a Fort Intel. Bragg. You know, so it was, it was nice to have him on that ride, kind of like settling me down because I was nervous, anxious to get there and see what happens. So I show up to AIT, and you know, it just another basic AIT was just basic training, but uh, a little less. Uh, I guess the, no one's on your ass a lot, so you had your own room. You had your room with a with a uh, you know me and a roommate, and then you still get treated like shit. But it was a learning, more of a learning type situation with the MOS and things like that. So it was like about a fourteen week. I think it was like fourteen week AIT. Fourteen weeks. Yeah, it was long. Dude, my
0: AIT was seven weeks, so it's twice the length. Yeah. So tell me tell me about what you learned what did you learn in PSYOP school oh,
1: Okay so uh we learned how you know we have a a process a PSYOP process that takes us from step 1 down to like the last step which is you know you, you're disseminating your products mm-hmm. and the most important phase that is as your target audience analysis process was like the longest one yeah because you're taking that uh that audience that you're that you're trying to target that you're trying to change their behavior yeah and you're getting all their like all their information. You're trying to get like what, what, what moves them to take action. Like you're trying to come up with a, with a main argument of why they should do what you say or why you're designing this program for mm-hmm. this. And you have a supporting arguments and you're doing your, you know, your, uh, demographics, your males, your, you know, your, who's the key communicators, people that you can use within that, in that, uh, it's all about and,
0: exploitation. You're basically getting all yeah, the information. You're, you're to trying exploit. to
1: influence and you're trying to get all the information, just like any marketing firm would do to try to get you to, you know, wear cool clothing. You know what I mean? So it's whatever they're doing, it's working. And whatever their their marketing guys come up with. So it's just trying to change your, your, your behavior. And you have, you know, you have your SOAP objective, your supporting objectives, things like that. So you're following on a program. And then once you get your, uh, target analysis stuff done. Then you start doing your your series development, your product development type stuff. So you're cu- putting in a, what kind of media we're going to use. Are we going to hit them with radio, print, with TV? You know, we're going to do the leaflet drop stuff, or we're going to do face to face. You know, how are we going to, I guess, accomplish these objectives so that we can get some uh, measures of effectiveness with our program? Yeah, and the hardest thing about it is everybody wants that like instantaneous feedback. And the thing that with us is, is the patience is what one of the things I think we lack a lot of us do for the just in general and yeah, in the in the military. Cause we want instant, you know, instant gratification. We want instant, you know, uh, results. So inside, but it takes longer because it, it, it takes longer to like influence those generations of people, you know, depending on who you're going after, you're going after the older people, you know, you're going to have to break them of, So many years of uh, that thought process they have. Mm -hmm. So you know, a lot of planning goes into it. But you know, if you don't rush it and you do the right way, your you know your series, your programs can come out really nice. You get better effects of what you're trying to put out. So this is this is all the stuff that you learned at the basic level. Pretty much, yeah. And it was kind of hard. Like, how much does that translate to the actual job? You get the basics because when you go to when you're working with, so if you're on the tactical side, you know you're supporting ODA, you're supporting a ranger uh, battalion. Well, because
0: that's what you guys do. We, yeah, you're attached to special operations we're attached, units. Yeah,
1: we're a support element to these special operations units, and then and then there's another side. There's a strategic, excuse me, strategic side where we're uh, where we go out to embassies and we work with country teams. Yeah. So it's a different, you know. Um, how you're messaging and what you're doing, again like if you're strategic messaging, your tactical messaging, things like that. So,
0: so uh, talk to me through your first unit. So, how do you you get stationed at Brad? Because that's the only place in right. place psyops is right.
1: Exactly, that's the only active duty station.
0: What's it called? Seventh psyops. Or?
1: Oh, there's a there's fourth psyop group and an eighth psyop group. A oh, way off. Seven. Yeah. Seventh is there's a, there's a reserve.
0: That's the reserve yeah. component. Okay. So you get assigned to uh, PSYOPs in, what, 2000, 99? It was
1: uh, 99 because you had to, so after AIT, you went to airborne school. Then after airborne school, you came back. How was airborne school for you? i tell you what, it was... Was it scary? No, not at all. I, for me, it was easy. Yeah. I just, you know, it... Was it you you know, exciting? Nervous. It was exciting. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you're nervous because you don't, you're know, jumping off a plane and everything for yeah. the first time and... But it wasn't. I wasn't scared at all. It was just like, all right, get me out of this plane because it was uncomfortable.
0: And so you you jumped and you did your five your five, yeah, jump, five jump
1: jumps. I come back to Fort Bragg and um, I uh, in process ninth uh, psyop battalion. That's the tactical one of the tactical battalions. As what? What's or, your
0: what's your position? I was a nug
1: nug. One? Yeah, I was just like private. a psyop soldier. basically. Psyop soldier.
0: And then how, how are you guys organized as a team? Is my so ba-
1: back in 99, you had um, – in 9th Battalion, you had Alpha, Bravo, Charlie Company. And within those companies, you had detachments. You had – at that time, I think we had three detachments at the time. And then within, the, and then within each detachment, you had your headquarters element team, which was like a two-person team. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a, if we had an extra guy, we'd put him up there as admin. Yep. Then you had uh, three to four teams, and they were three-man teams. Mm-hmm. So each, and then each uh, detachment was lined up with uh, like a region, like a COCOM, like oh yeah, yeah. just like special operations, exactly. special forces, where you're
0: aligned with a geographical. Right. Did you guys have to do language training?
1: Yeah. So after language, so I mean after language, after um, AIT, AIT Airborne School, I go in and uh, I am processed the Ninth Battalion, and then. Right then, you get your uh, language assignment.
0: So that's so, part of you guys. You have to that have was
1: back. Yeah, that was back in the day. Now it's a pipeline. So now it's, you know, you go through your selection. You go through, if you get selected, you go through the uh, MOS portion. Then you go through your SEER school. Then you go through your, um, your language training, whatever trainings they have within that pipeline. I'm not real sure what those are right now. But uh, when I went through... You did you you know you did your AIT airborne come back to your unit then go to language school school for like I think mine was four to five months I think it was and I got chose, I got German mm-hmm. and uh, you know I, I look at it as I just failed out of college because I couldn't study and and then you're gonna send me to language school where I had to like study all the time so it was like kind of a struggle to study but I mean I picked it up to most where I could work with it and what was your language German German right. uh
0: and so you were you had to go and get a rating from yeah German once school.
1: you're done with your your training you take your DLPT and then that gives you your your rating it's like a zero zero all the way to like I think four four mm-hmm. and I, I don't think I ever scored above like a one one because I never used my language I uh after I came back from language school, I went to Korea twice for exercises. Then I went to Australia for an exercise. And then after that, that's when the, you know, uh, 9-11 kicked off, and then I was in Afghanistan. So I never really got the opportunity to use it until uh, I was 2010 when I went to uh, SOC Africa, Special Special Operations Command Africa in Stuttgart, Germany. hmm And by then, I'm like, uh, I'm just, you know, a handful of phrases I can get by. Yeah, because it wasn't a big priority. No, it wasn't. I wasn't speaking German when I was in Afghanistan. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh,
0: So let's talk a little bit about um, the war, and it kicked off. Because, you know, we talked about this on, I think, a live feed. Yeah. And What's interesting to me, it's always been interesting to me, is um, you were one of a small hand— you know, a small group of handpicked dudes that were selected to jump in to Afghanistan with uh, Ranger Regiment. Yeah, I
1: mean, so it was with Third Ranger Regiment. Um, it was I was one of four Sop guys that got to be a part of that that jump and Third um, Ranger Battalion. It yep. was Third Ranger Battalion. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, how did
0: that all go down? Like, describe to me, like, you know, they what do they do? They just put out a call and they're
1: like, "Hey, we need four dudes." Or how did that go down? So we had a, uh, a detachment that was solely uh, sliced off to support each ranger, uh, battalion. Oh, so you already, I was in, it was, it was called the ranger detachment or scout ranger
0: detachment. So you, so, uh, sorry, we're backing up a little bit, but so you were assigned to a ranger regiment or to ranger regiment already. And then one of the battalions as, as a duty.
1: No, it was, our detachment was, um, each team was broken down into each ranger battalion. Yeah. So we had, like, our designated um, uh, battalion that we worked with. Yeah. But for this one, since it was, like, you know, the first thing to go in, our, our whole detachment went and supported this mission. Yeah. And the mission was what? It was basically, you know, uh, kill, capture, you know, HVTs. Hold Omar. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so for the jump... It was myself and three other Sop guys on the jump. that got you know planned into the operation. When you
0: got the word that you guys were doing a combat infill into Afghanistan, what was the...
1: oh, I couldn't believe it because I remember in AIT. Like, yes, I remember in AIT. We were talking about the Sop guys that jumped into Grenada with 82nd and in, in the Rangers. Yeah, and we were like, man, I would love to do that. I would get my nut like, to do that. And you know? now you're the guy. And then I'm like, oh shit, like wow, I'm that lucky to get put on this mission. And I'm like. I couldn't believe it. it was just everything was just like it didn't make it wasn't real, you know, like and so uh
0: when you got that assignment where there were people fighting internally to you guys to do
1: it? Uh no, because I think the way it planned out, I mean I, there wasn't really no no one was fighting or anything, but you can tell there was like, you know some oh, hate. Why, why why didn't I get picked There's for was that? some hate was And it and it happened because they only had limited numbers. I think it we jumped in I forget, maybe two hundred to three hundred jumpers and we were out in the. In What's the, the date? Uh, it was uh, October 19th, 2001. That's when we jumped in. So, like, a little over a month from 9 from 11. Right. And, you know, we went down to Fort Benning and did rehearsals. And then we finally got on the plane and went over to our ISB. And then we were doing rehearsals there, like, all the mock up stuff. And when it came down to, like, you know, game day, it was. Um, we were at the hangar and we we're putting on our shoot and everything. And I jumped in with the loudspeaker and it was like this huge. It was called a low ruck, and it was longer than, uh, like, your typical rucksack. Um, and it was, just like, 80 pounds, 70, 80 pounds of just, like, speakers and spare batteries. And it was just the most uncomfortable thing you can wear. But I remember sitting in the uh, hangar, and you had, like, some rangers that didn't get on the jump. And they were just like, yeah, we didn't get on the jump because of these guys. And it was like, I'm sorry, like, man. I'm sorry, man. Like, I had nothing to do with that, yeah. you know? I was you're I'm you're just, just lucky doing me here. I'm just doing me, yeah, you know? Yeah.
0: All right. So you, you jump into Afghanistan, which I think is an amazing um opportunity for you. And you get back and you get a whole mustard stain on your, yeah, on your jump I get to wings. the little
1: bronze star. And you were device. wearing BDUs back then, right? BDUs, yeah. So you got camouflage, you yeah, got a nice, got little, nice shined ooh, OB, up boots, olive
0: drab, and then you got a mustard the stain. Green jungle boots. Combat patch, third ranger battalion combat yeah. patch too, right? Yep.
1: Ooh. Yeah, it was nice. It was. I'm, i you, I was. I was proud of that. Well, I mean, some
0: people don't realize it, in, you know, who aren't in the military. But that that kind of thing, especially if you're squared away, could set you up for a good career. And it did. It did. I, so, can't,
1: I can't lie on that. I mean, that's probably kind of you know that got me to staff sergeant. That got me to sergeant first class. You know, dang. Did they bring it up in the boards every time they boarded? Uh. I, they mention it every once in a while. Like they, someone would say something, yeah, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm right. like, yeah, yeah, I did that." Like yeah, I, I wasn't, thing. you know, it was a big moment in my career, but I didn't want that to define like my career. Like yeah, yeah, because that that was just be- the beginning. That was the beginning. I mean, I was yeah. brand new. Like I got promoted that Friday or Thursday before September 11th, and I come into work on that what was it Tuesday, and you know September 11th happened. So you were brand new E five, brand new E five, ooh, brand new. That's awesome.
0: So you jump in, you did Afghanistan, and I know uh, we've talked about it before, but it was a cool operation, cool mission.
1: Yeah, and then uh, I went home on, I think it was December 6th. We got home, and then I got the call, I think like two days later, hey, you're going back out December 26th with 1st Ranger Battalion. So oh, they, they you gave know, you Christmas. They it was, said, hey, okay. enjoy your Christmas, but the next day we're driving down to, we're driving down to, uh, we're driving down to uh, so Hunter, yeah. Hunter Army Airfield, and then you're flying out with First Ranger Battalion. So nice. Then how, did, it, how did how did the Ranger Regiment treat you? Uh, so you know, as a Saab guy, as an outsider, basically, yeah. You know, it was myself and another guy, so it was a two man team. We got we. They didn't know what we what our capabilities were. They didn't know what we did. We were yeah. just some couple pogs, you know. Well, back then it was all back, da everything, yeah, oh, yeah. and nobody oh, yeah. even
0: understood. If you look at the Ranger Battalion now compared to what it was, oh yeah, it's it's all inclusive lot. now. Yeah, but for back then it was just yeah. That it was specific hard mission to
1: get into that tribe. Like yeah. I, you had to really like volunteer your volunteer, and they had to see you show improve. you wanted to be there. Yeah. yeah. So any mission, any little thing that came up, if they were going to a range. If they were just doing, you know, anything they did. Cleaning, Cleaning helping out. we yeah. were in there. So they got to know us and, you know, they saw us. But, but that rotation was like very, it was, I think it was the point of the, you know, at the beginning, it was not a lot like. Yeah, this is before complex IEDs yeah. and strategic so, leveled operations. A lot that. of like spin-ups and yeah. then, okay, go back. We're not you guys
0: were in at that time. Basically, right? yeah. Back in after We were out,
1: we were in. Started in Bogram, then I got went shifted to Kandahar and worked out there and then back to Bogram. So it was like back and forth.
0: And then you come back home and then um then what?
1: Uh come back home and then I got another uh I did another rotation and that was with First Battalion. I supported Bravo Company in that rotation and uh I was like a one man uh PSYOP team, which was really cool because I got, you know, they didn't that was my first time working with that with those guys, so I was in that support role again. And then, whatever I could do to get on a mission, I did so. I got with who look, with first ranger battalion, oh, yeah, first bat, yep. And uh, w- w- whatever they were doing, I was there, like at the range. Like, first round would come up, like, George, you don't have to go to the range. I'm like, no, I'm gonna go, and I go out there, and that's when I kind of like did my face to face. I yeah. like. did, they respect your rank, yeah, a lot, of, yeah. And it, you had it, a they, ranger battalion's combat scroll, yeah, so they and they knew what I've done before, and so. There were times where we did a uh, a convoy where we did we took uh, vehicles and we drove them like did a sixteen hour uh, you know overland trip. overland trip yeah and when I got on the trip I was sitting in the back of the Humvee and there was uh we left at night we left at dusk yeah so there were a lot of it was driving at night and there was uh, the guy driving the truck he was a young private and uh, we got to the point where he was like he couldn't see anymore driving. So we stopped off. he's hallucinating? Well, he just couldn't. I, mean, I don't think he had the uh, experience under the odds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we pulled off, and I guess we refueled and everything like that. And I could hear him saying to the uh, the TC. lieutenant, to the, the, the platoon leader, like, hey, uh, I'm having trouble seeing and driving, you know, under the odds. So I was like... You need someone to drive? I'll drive. Because I was bored as hell. Like I was in the back getting like thrown yeah. up like five feet in the air, coming back down.
0: And you wanted to drive.
1: I wanted to drive. Yeah. And so I drove the rest of the way and it was and it was a t- point where we were going into the mountains and it was like steep. I mean like straight up. And yeah. You, you this is Afghanistan. The, yeah, you can hear yeah. the transmission burning, you're trying oh, to get your yeah, yeah. gears. And like to the left of you, you had a you know the wall. And to the right, it was straight cliff, cliff. done. And we were Ooh. going up through these villages and stuff. It was the one of the best experiences ever trying to like do all this. All blacked out under nods. Oh, yeah. It That's was crazy. Awesome.
0: So that you're a mall crawler, was what you're saying. Yeah, mall
1: and, and then so I, from, from then on, like every little mission that came down, you know, they brought me on the mission and then my interpreter. So when we hit these compounds, we did like call-outs like, hey, you know, all the males come out, hands up, stuff like that. And <laughs> I remember one time we <laughs> – Hit this one compound and uh, we got in the loudspeaker, me and the Terp did, and called the guys out. And there was like 15 guys that came out. And I remember the, I forget who it said, I think it was the company commander. I was like, hey, uh, George, go up there and get those guys and bring them down here. I was like, "Uh, just me? He's like, no, take Adam, the Terp, with you. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so you guys got me? They were like, yeah, 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 we got you. (laughs) So I start walking up to get these guys and you could just see all the PEC-2 lasers like just – Around you, around on him. those dudes. Yeah, on those dudes. So, you know, we got them. We brought them back. Did our questioning, and then hit another little, uh, little mud hut compound thing. And then there was this old man laying on the in the, and is just laying there. And we we're like, what the hell is he doing? So they're like, George, stay with him. Watch this guy. Make sure he doesn't do anything. So I, you know, I, I take my helmet off. Sit on the bed. You know, everything. It's hot, and I'm just tired. I'm like, let me look around here. So I start looking around. I'm finding like AK47 stashed here. What? radio stashed here magazine stashed up in this thing and i was like oh ooh, i found stuff look at me I'll start, <laughs> I'll start throwing the room i'll find all kind of stuff and they were like you found all this i was like yeah i did and they were like oh cool that's awesome. so i was like i built more credibility like okay yeah. so now you're they're like so you and uh i forget the guy's name i'm terrible with names but he's like you guys are charged with the uh sse now when you got when we do any any missions so i was like okay so um, next mission comes up, and um, we get the call, and they're like, hey, uh, George, go get this hurt, you know, get him spun up. Mm-hmm. And in Afghanistan, in uh, Bagram, you had those wood huts with, like, the two steps. Yeah. I go out, and I twist my ankle coming off the step, and I go down. I like, take a knee where it, like— that twisted it so hard, like it made you want to like throw up. Yeah. And there were people walking by going to the chow. They're like, hey, man, you okay? I was like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> just give me a second. <laughs> so I get the turp. I come in. I just feel my ankle just getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, okay, I'm not getting off this mission. I'm, yeah, I'm fine. I'll tie my boot tighter. Then we get down to the airfield and it's pitch black. And they're like, okay, let's go. Let's, you know, get on the, uh, what is it, uh, Chinooks. Yep. And we were like, okay. And as soon as I walk out, I twist my ankle again on the same hole. one, same one. Ooh! And the terp picks me up. He basically picks me up. He's like, "Come on, let's go." And the first sergeant turns around. Me and him are like, "We got got a good relationship." He's like, "Hey, you can go back anytime you want to. You're good to go. You don't have to be on the mission." I was like, "No, nah, I'm going on this mission. Not- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to miss this mission." Missing. No. So we get on. I get on the bird. I just feel like my just ankle just. Paul Satan, like he oh. just sits, is getting bigger and bigger. Then we get out, and uh, you know, wh- wherever the LZ was, it was uh, in this like rocky, like it felt like it was like a washed out river, yeah. And uh, I'm like, oh my god, I gotta get off oh here, I gotta god. walk. I could barely walk, I was like playing it off so good. Then I had to get up on a, a deuce and a half LMTV, and then drive into the camp, get off the uh, LMTV, no ladder, no nothing. Oh and i'm just like oh my god so we do our planning for the mission and you know they're like okay you're going to come on you're going to land here then we're going to walk to this uh objective we're going to go in you know do our thing yeah and uh I, I don't know if it was planned or not but i think we landed like maybe like 2 miles off the objective or a mile <laughs> and a half <laughs> off somewhere like we were not As oh, an i offset. don't think we are yeah. supposed to be there like that that far away but we landed and I'm like, oh my God, I gotta walk. And like it was barely keeping up. I mean, I felt like I was like a liability to the mission, but I mean I stay I kept up. And then we got up, up to the compound, cleared it, you know, questioned everybody, did SSE, things like that. So everything was fine. It but it was like an all night mission. We got back to the uh uh where we were planning at and it was like the sun was coming up as the when the yeah, you know we were lifting off and uh we get back and they're like, okay, we're gonna leave tonight. You know, we're gonna wait till uh, till dark. And I was like, oh, thank God. Let me mm-hmm. take this boot off. Oof. Oh, I took the boot off and it was purple, yellow, disgusting, just huge. Angle. Did it take you out of the fight? No, not at all. And I laid down. And as soon as we laid down, everybody like basically laid down. It was like, you get that sigh of like, oh, ah. thank God. All of a sudden, you hear. Oh. <laughs> so that two rockets came in. So everybody's like a hundred meters from our tent and yeah. hit it like another tent. And I guess a couple of guys got wounded, but it was like, come on, man, I just want to take a nap. <laughs> like I'm, I'm tired.
0: All right. So that, that, that combat rotation, uh, how long did that one last?
1: Uh, so all the ones in the, when I was working with the rangers they were either like three to four months or four to five months is depending on the, just depending on the timing and stuff yeah. like that. So, they really, they frequently, uh, rotated out, but at the same time, you know, you, you rotated out, but as soon as you came back, you were on, uh, you know, your fixed wings, your multi-latch, your rotary wing exercises. So it was nonstop until, you know, the next rotation for the next battalion. Yeah. And
0: then, and then this is like a, a a global war on terror grind. You're, you're not stopping anything. No, it's kept going, keeps going. So, um, you keep i mean mean, this is early 2000 and then you're you're going up to the point until like
1: it was 2004 was my last rotation with uh that was my last rotation with first ranger battalion and then i think after that i came back and then i uh i left the ranger red or the uh, ranger detachment and I did, I uh, had this opportunity while I was in. Uh, I went to BNOT when I got back. Mm-hmm. And BNOT is the yeah, basic C- yeah, staff was, sergeant school. It's the advanced leadership school now, mm-hmm. or leadership A-L-C. course, ALC. Yep. And at that time, I put in a uh, packet to do a thing called training with industry. Mm-hmm. And what it was, it was a year working at WREL uh, TV station in Raleigh. Oh and yeah, it, I remember this. You told me about this. Yeah. So I worked there for a year, and I. Oh, you worked at a TV station. Yeah. For, was, for a year, because it was part of like for a side, It was, you know, you're using all for, all forms of media. You had your marketing in there, your news gathering, yeah. you know, uh, stuff in there. So once I got up to, I got you know, I got picked up for that that assignment because I don't think anybody knew about it, and it, <laughs> I just heard about it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do that for a year. That'd be great. Nice little break. Yeah. So I did that for about a year, and uh, I went, you know, working there, you went through every uh, department. So you started out at, like, uh, the programming department and how they put the TV shows up and how they aired and, you know, commercial timing, and then I went and worked in the news department. So I started on the floor with the uh, with the cameras and then back doing, like, the uh, scrolling thing. What's it called? And they're reading the the, the teleprompter. Mm-hmm. doing that and then i did you know i went to the news section where every morning you get up and then you sit in there like a conference room and they're talking about news stories like okay hey you're gonna go take this news story you're going take this cameraman with you okay go and they kind of broke down like a scheme of maneuver for the week on what stories that that we're gonna do and then you had a desk so you're section. just an employee basically yeah i What's was like over an intern, basically an yeah intern. yeah how did and, they treat you there Oh, they treated us great. It was myself. It was an enlisted person, so I was a staff sergeant at the time, and uh-huh. then there was a major uh, that was – he kind of worked kind of like the more the corporate side where he was with the heads of the um, – Was he cool? Was the major? Yeah, role? yeah. He oh, was real okay, cool. Okay, okay, um, And then uh, – so every depart- – worked every department, like – and you went out, like, during, like, Final Four weekend. I got to go to um, Chapel Hill and cover the Final Four, and it was – we're up on this – Roof of this pizza place, Mm -hmm. and I think it was um, UNC Tar Heels. They won. They won, and they're going to the like the final championship game. And it was like watching roaches fill buildings and enter the street. Mm -hmm. And it was like thousands of people in the street, like starting fires. You know, drunk celebrating the win. And it was just like so weird to see because like you're up above. Oh yeah, you're on the looking down down in the city street. It was cool. So. So the, what did you gain out of that? Was that a good experience uh, for you? So it was a great experience. I learned, you know, like programming, how they, they did the marketing. There was like a lot of the um, advertising stuff. But when I got back to Fort Bragg, after that year, I didn't really – there was nothing set up to capitalize on that uh, that year. Mm-hmm. Basically, you got all this great knowledge, worked with all this equipment, worked with all these people. But when I came back, it was just another experience I had, another – you know. Uh, Stuff Something I could to, use. Yeah, add your kit bag. Yeah. So I get back to Fort Bragg, and uh, uh, I got a choice. I could either have went back to 9th Battalion uh, to uh, 6th Battalion. And my wife at that time, she's my ex-wife now, but she was in 6th Battalion. So they were like, well, we don't know about that. You're not going to be able to work with her in the same battalion. So I was like, all right, well, what are my other options? They are like, well, we have this um, UAV called the Wind Supported Aerial Delivery System, the WESADS. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'll do that. You know, not knowing what I was going to get myself into. Uh, if I wouldn't have known about it, I would never have taken that <laughs> job, but it was cool. I mean, I had a good time with it. It was, I think I did it for like two years. And basically what it was, was, um, it was a parafoil UAV system to where it was a, it was designed to be a leaflet delivery system where there was bends on the bottom mm-hmm. and you s- stacked them up with leaflets. And then when you're doing your mission planning, your flight plan, you could, you know, however the program was in the computer, you could say bin one release and it releases. So everything was like uh, guided by uh, a GPS type thing. Mm-hmm. So wherever it was going, it would, you know, pull the risers here, there, and it would, you you'd give it a flight path. Mm-hmm. And it was launched off the back of a Humvee. And this thing was kind of like a size of, you know, a, a dining room table, it looked like a small like Volkswagen bug. Mm-hmm like cut in half. It was that big. It had like skids on it. And so when you had it, it like on. It was an airplane. It was basically an airplane, but it had a parachute on top to, uh, but to you know, to guide it. Yeah, yeah. So you had a driver in the Humvee and you had a guy sitting next to him that's going to release it from the uh, the truck. And on, on the ground, you had two guys. You had a guy on each end of the uh, parachute. And then one guy had the control uh, box to rev it up, the engine up. Mm-hmm. So when the Humvee took off, you made sure the the uh, parachute stabilized, and then at a certain when you're at a certain mile per hour, you release it, and then once it releases, the guy with the control box revs it up to where it gets to altitude, and then you had a uh, basically you had a mission control site with you know your antenna set up, your your computer, and it shows you the the waypoints and where it was going to go, and once it got to a certain altitude, you you switched to auto. Mm-hmm. And basically from there, you um, just um, kind of watched it and made sure it was on the right path. So you're controlling a plane that drops pamphlets. Yeah, leaflets. And then so as time went on, you know, we were out in Yuma, Yuma Arizona, and uh, that's when we did a lot of our testing out there. Mm-hmm. And then New Mexico, where we tested it, we like TV transmitting, radio transmissions, and then dropping other stuff out of it. Uh-huh. And so I was like the detachment sergeant of the, at the time. It was mm-hmm. just myself and then the the team I had. It was uh, it was a cast of characters, but it was they were they were good guys. Yeah. So the team got uh, actually deployed to Iraq for one rotation, and I had to stay back. But at that time, I was in there. I got to go back to Afghanistan again mm-hmm. because the reserves had a uh, the WSADs and they cra- it, it It crashed. Yeah. So I was. Since I was the uh, detachment sergeant of our WESADs, I was, I guess, the subject matter expert. So they sent me out to, like, do the investigation on, like, what happened. But, you know, it crashed. I mean, there's nothing more you can do about it. The system was some of the, you know, things that were put into it failed a lot of the times with the communication systems. So it it just crashed. And, you know, it was a month in Afghanistan where, once again, I just – got that work out of the way, and then I was, you know, volunteering to go on, to, like, KLEs and stuff like that, so.
0: Yeah, it was just a – but it's – I mean, that stuff happens, right? Yeah, it's and it happens, and then – uh So why didn't, why didn't you like that job?
1: Uh It was just
0: – Lame? It was kind of lame, and it was <laughs> just
1: kind of like, what are we going to do with this thing? I mean, are we going to actually be able to use it? And it was hard to get, like, airspace and, like, around brag because of, like – all the uh, frequencies that were used to um, um, communicate with the, with the, I forget what we used. We used some kind of like, uh, it was some kind of like cell phone type thing, like system, like Garmin, you know, GPS yeah, type yeah. thing. So, and it was hard to keep, it. sometimes the comms would go out and it would be up there flying by itself. So there was the risk involved, like they didn't want to take the risk. hmm and we couldn't even like get gas for it. it took like the 90 you know 93 or whatever and like trying to get funding for it it was just a pain in the ass to operate so so you get back from that doing that trip that lame rotation and then it picks I up I got a call uh from one of my uh my he was my team sergeant and when I was in the ranger battalion or ranger uh, detachment he said hey I got this opportunity if you want to become a uh, a instructor at the NCO Academy, mm-hmm. I said, "Sure, yeah, why not?" You know, so that's when I, I PCS from you know, uh, for a 4 SIOP group, and I PCS to um, the uh, schoolhouse, the uh, JFK Special Warfare Center in School, and I became a uh, an uh, instructor for the uh, NCO Academy. Yeah, so I did that for three years. And that's when, uh, at that time, that's, that's when, when you started broke doing, my foot.
0: Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. So before before George, me and George ever met in Libya. Um, what's interesting is, um, I actually went to a knock, which is E7 school or E7 school. And I think I went in 08 or something like that. Yeah. And so I went to E7 school and I was already E7. And then at that time period, you could go after the fact. And so it was called uh, a knock. Um, and it, it, what is it called now?
1: It's a SLC, SLC senior leader, course. senior
0: leader course. And, uh, we had a combative session and, you know, I won the leadership award there. I did, you know, a whole bunch of just basic stuff, and uh, it's all 18 series. And so we every morning we had PT, and part of that PT session was a combative session. Yep. And we were trying to get everybody level one uh, certified, and, and I was a big combatives guy at the time, so I did jujitsu and a whole bunch of stuff. And um, we were doing a, sp- a sp- no, it's close a distance drill. Yeah. And I had to close a distance on, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, George. And George is, what, 6'3"?
1: Yeah, I was, I was slim back then. I was like maybe 2, 225, 225,
0: 220. 6'3". And so he's bigger than me, and I, I went in, and then I got behind him. And then as I was like, I don't know, wrestling with you, yeah. uh, he stomped my foot. I, I don't remember. I, it this. was probably just him stepping on it. I don't even think it was a, a stomp. It was just a step, and he broke my foot. Yeah. He literally fractured and my foot. I
1: did not like that close-of-distance drill because I'm the one with yeah. the with the gloves on and I'm just like throwing punches and it wasn't fair. I was like, man, you can punch back if you wanted to. Yeah. I, I, all in
0: all, it was just a... Yeah, it was a good training. Good training. Um, but yeah, he broke my foot, man. Yeah. I, and I was in a cast for like six months because of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even know it was him at the time. Anyways, I digress.
1: All right, so we get to the point and um, how did we meet in Libya? how about that go down? So... After Dancio academy, I got uh, I volu- well basically I was like, well, I'm coming point in my career where I need to do an out of brag assignment. Yeah, and I didn't want to get stuck at 82nd Airborne land. No offense against that, but I just didn't want to be in the conventional side of the house. So I called our um, our branch guy and I said, hey, you know, uh, I want to get a planner position overseas, mm-hmm. Germany, preferably in like, Okay, well, so we got this opened up. And it was for at the uh, Special Operations Command, uh, Africa. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, perfect, let's go, you know? So I pcs over uh, to Stuttgart, Germany. And uh, I think at the time I got there, it was 2010. And uh, we, uh, I think it was 2012 when me and you met. So be- before that, though, I was supporting like the counter LRA mission. Um, kind of trying to do the IO campaign for that. And Mm -hmm. then I got this Libya thing came up and I volunteered. I was like, Hey, I will go to Libya. Like send me now. And they were like, all right. Cause you are ready. You just get out of the schoolhouse. You're ready to go. Yeah. I'm ready to do something, man. Like, let me get out there. Do something fun. Let me. Yeah, exactly. Cause I, I missed Iraq. I didn't get to go to Iraq. Um, which is another story. So this opportunity came up and then the Sergeant Major, I think it was Sergeant Major Wright. I think he's getting out now. I don't know for sure. But he was like, yeah, you want to go volunteer? Yeah, go. You'll, you're going to be doing the uh, – basically you'll be the team Libya NCOIC, but you're going to be doing more like the, the uh, fun stuff. You know, you're going to take over the money. Ops. You're, you're buying, yeah, ops basically. Yeah. So I, uh, I get on the plane and I, you know, leave Germany fly into Libya. Were well, you I'm, on
0: the ground before I was on the ground? You yeah, picked me up, right?
1: Yeah. We were there because there was another – the ODA before us was – because they were that – they worked at the embassy. They weren't really sliced off to the CT stuff just yet. Yeah, yeah. They were allowed to meet up with them. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. They yeah. wouldn't give them permissions yet. Yeah. So I get in there and then set everything up, and then you guys come up, and we pick you guys up at the airport. And <laughs> so The agency
0: gave us a hard time.
1: Yeah, Mike gets off the – we <laughs> – we have a uh, basically, this big old like uh, container truck, and all of a sudden, like Mike and his two guys are coming off with like grenades, AT4s, and grenades, and ammo, and it's like nothing's covered up, and people are making a big stink of it. And I'm just like, whatever, man, let's get on the truck, let's go. Yeah, it, w- were it to- was
0: at that military airport, right? Yeah, it was uh, uh yeah, yeah, uh, up on the coast to t- t- starting with a T or something like yeah, that, yeah, and
1: uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: well, they got all mad at us because, uh, I mean, nobody told us, yeah, obviously, no, to care. I'm like, we're going into a covert. I'm thinking we're going into a covert base. so I'm thinking we don't have to cover shit up. Yeah.
1: Like, y- they know we're here. And there were Libyans, like, on the ground, like, officials, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. In quotation marks, That was but, bad. But, uh, I got chewed out
0: by the agency. Cause yeah.
1: Like, and then we got back uh, to everything, and we started. Uh, and then, so we were stayed in these villas, and they were, like, what, three-bedroom, four-bedroom villas, and we yeah. were all scrammed into one villa. Yeah. And uh, I had like a half bottle of Jack Daniels. And I was like, well, you know, this is, you know, new new teams coming in. I got to, you know, build rapport. And I've been here for a couple, like a month now. So I go over to Mike's room. I'm like, hey, I'm George. Glad to meet you. I was like, here's some, you know, whiskey. Welcome. And then Mike opens up his uh, tough box and is like, oh, yeah, we got some stuff here. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then from, you know, then on, we just were just, every everyone hung out. Everyone was cool. I got kind of like, you know. Brought into the team and it was it was a good feeling and then small world uh, when I was at, at worked at WREL one of the uh, girls that worked at WREL dated Mike in high school mm-hmm. and it was just a small world type thing it's so, crazy yeah isn't that crazy yeah what was her name <laughs> oh, I forget her name but she was tall she was a she ran track and yeah she told me she she beat up a guy or beat up somebody she beat up a dude <laughs> yeah she's
0: that's I man that's crazy. Uh, that's insane, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then we did, how many months were we there? Six months, six months. Yeah. And then, you know, George at the time was a senior dude and, uh, I actually wrote your award. Yep. I, I wrote your award. It was all high speed. It was, it was great. Good, good I read it. Up.
1: Yeah, it was nice. Didn't they do a little award ceremony where they read it and you got, uh, yeah, they did right before I left, uh, to come back to the States. Cause it was like right at the end of my three years is when, uh, was I left? I came back from Libya and then I just started out processing, clearing, and stuff like that. So we so we ran a
0: counterterrorism uh, program in Libya, and uh, uh, you know after the fact I got out of the military, but I went back and contracted there. And Libya is a Libya was a really unique place, man. I actually I actually thought it was really cool to to operate. and oh, do, yeah. To work in Libya because and Tripoli, there's part part of. Partly, you go in there and you interact with the people and you just kind of do your thing. And you don't get the impression that there's a lot of terrorists there. Yeah. You don't get the impression that there's a lot of bad stuff. And everybody's 30,000-foot uh, view of Libya. Uh, remember that dude who was a general? Not the general, but the commander, like the colonel of Sokhaf? Yeah. The Marine? Yeah, 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 And yeah. he thought, he compared it to Somalia. And he thought, yeah. it was like, it's all scary.
1: Like, we went out. We would go out all the time and go downtown. It's like and walk we around. drive
0: every day yeah. for hours in the t- in the city, mm-hmm. and we interact every day with yep. local nationals. And I'm like, "Sir, it's not what you're thinking it is." And I remember one time we had a I don't know if I remember this, but I had a uh, I received a phone call in the in the skiff, and the skiff is like a secure area where you do top secret stuff. And then uh, one of the uh, female, she was a female uh, c- controller, so she she basically watched. The camera on like an ISR platform, like an airplane, and she's like, "Hey, is uh, Mas- Master Sergeant Glover there?" And I was like, "Yes, yeah, Sam." Like, hey, I wanted to let you know uh, about some activity we we're seeing. And then she's she's describing all this activity. She's like, in this vicinity, and I'm pulling it up on the map because I'm very interested. And she's like, "Yeah, we're receiving this, we're receiving that, and it's a whole bunch of traffic, and it looks like they're assembling, like maybe for a, a attack or something." And I'm looking at the map, and it's like it's like a mile away from our camp and I'm oh this is this might be serious not realizing that they're watching um ISR footage but not really coordinating with us and so I'm thinking they know something that we don't know like they got some intel yeah. that was separate from the imagery <laughs> they saw from a from a plane and then I look at it and then I'm looking at the imagery this is just me like m- me looking at imagery and then I went uh yeah I know where that's at so what do you think? What do you what's going on? She goes, Well, you know, they're just lined up there's a big line and there's a big assembly of people. And I was and, and I was like, Yeah. So what so what are you saying? She goes, Well, it just seems they may be staging for an attack. I was like, <laughs> I was like, You realize that's a gas station, right? Yeah. And like, you realize like gas is very hard and difficult here uh to get. And that is literally a gas station and a line of people waiting in line to get gas.
1: And that was with everything. In that country, like we'd get oh, from yeah. higher. It was like, don't go to the square. There's a checkpoint. It's don't like, go to the square. That's you're gonna get we go. you're gonna get snatched up. Uh-huh. and we went down to the square and it was nothing. It was like Well, every, they were
0: very risk averse right? Because of yeah, very the, risk the, adverse, the Benghazi yeah. stuff. And we were there a month after that yep. whole stuff went down. Um I remember some frustrations. Remember Algeria and the hostage rescue si- yes. situation? So a lot of people have actually asked me about um Libya, and they're like, you know, how was it, and all this stuff. And so we had a colonel, uh, I won't mention his name, because um, I'm not a big fan. I think he got promoted. He did, right? I don't know. I heard he was a colonel, a full bird, because he was a lieutenant colonel when we were there. Yeah. But anyways, so uh, this colonel, number one, he didn't really know who we were. And, uh, you know, we're not, we weren't anything crazy and special, But we were the commanders in extremist force, and our responsibility was hostage rescue on the continent of Africa. And so there's a whole bunch of things that I can't talk about on this podcast, but the reality is we had a lot more um, privileges and uh, things that we were supposed to and allowed to do that he didn't understand. I mean, he didn't even understand what the commanders in extremist force was. He wasn't read on to the program, and we got to get him read on. And the first thing we did when we went in there and I said— because he was this actual the commander who said to the guys who were supposed to from Tenth Group who were supposed to go to Benghazi to respond, to go and help that they couldn't go.
1: Yeah, they were told to stand down. They told him to stand down,
0: and and I told him and I wanted to make it very clear that there was no way um, on the planet Earth that he was going to stop me or my guys or anybody from reacting to go save um, good guys. And so I won't digress into that because it's a it's probably just a lot of drama that we don't want to bring up. But the uh, situation that we had was in Algeria, like a, a oil refiner was taken hostage um, by a group affiliated with the Marlboro man, who's a, a huge terrorist in that area. And you know, basically in a nutshell, Algeria had it locked down, but they weren't letting anybody in or out. And so we were looking at courses of action to go rescue these guys and. I did a whole bunch of planning stuff. My commander did, and and we were ready to go. And then he was like, "Hey, I, I can't support this, and I can't do this and that." And he was just real risk adverse because of of his higher uh, headquarters. And I kind of felt bad for the guy, but where we, I was super frust- frustrated this whole deal because you know Americans actually died in that uh, situation. They, uh, long, long story short, they basically did the raid themselves, didn't have containment they did a gun sh- gun run or strafing with uh, a cobra helicopter killed a whole bunch of hostages it was a, it was a nightmare anyways but i i was in that situation and just freaking livid i mean it's the most angry i've ever been in my military career because it wasn't just um it wasn't it really, it really had nothing to do with ego it was it had a lot to do with like kind of like the realities of war and the realities of what happens when you don't make decisions and People died. It was just a big fucking mess. Anyway, um, but you remember that time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very it was, frustrating. It was very frustrating. So anyways, we get to the point now, and um, you you evolved in your career, and you went to the Special Warfare Center, and you did. You were actually at the schoolhouse, right?
1: Yeah. I went back. Well, after Libya, I came back to Fort Bragg. I, I got reassigned to 6th uh, Sot Battalion. So from there, I did, and uh, you at this time you're E E-H. eight. I'm an E eight. Yeah, E E-H- eight. Yeah. E-H- 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 so I go back. I'm a detachment uh, sergeant. You know, myself, and there's a captain, and then we get uh, pulled in for Ukraine. Ukraine kicked off, and we were one of the myself and uh, there was I had a captain, and then I had four other four soldiers underneath me, and uh, we get uh, called up. They like, hey you're going to go into Ukraine and you're going to, the first thing you're going to do is support the elections. So they got rid of the, you know, the old president, the new one comes in or they, they had an election. So we came in, we support elections. We, when we got to the embassy, we worked for the um, PAO, the public affairs officer. Yeah. So we had our little office, little area up, up on there, you know, up in the embassy. And then we started planning for the mission. We started doing, you know, get out and vote, you know, we're doing, we doing billboards, posters, you know, trying to do uh, radio spots, things like that. What are we doing Our within our budget? Our budget was small when we first got there, so we had to use a lot of, like, uh, there was a Ukraine crisis media center that was set up, uh-huh. so we had to use, you know, networking, things like that came into play. So this was, like, basically my first real deal, like, psyop mission in, like, my 15 years. So where it was like a to deliberate op deliberate that, that op, meant something in yeah. real world, and you had to like go in and do you know planning from phase one to phase you know the last the last phases your you know, dissemination and stuff like that. So we get on the ground and we're you know we get in a good groove. We got we got a great relationship with the embassy. The ambassador loved us. You know he saw what we were doing. Uh, we had a couple programs going on. We uh, partnered up with. Um, one of these, uh, well, partner with the Ukraine Crisis Media Center. What it was was like basically a, a group of professionals that worked in you know Kiev area and around Ukraine, where you had your <coughs> marketing professionals, you had lawyers, you had newspaper people, you had media people, and they all volunteered their time at this Ukraine Crisis Media Center. So we networked with them through the PAO, and then from there. You know, we when we got to Ukraine. We had maybe one or two people we could like disseminate information for, from, and then do things. But when we left, we had a list of people we networked with. So it was basically those first six months. We started out with the election, then we did a per, you know the military uh, support the military, <coughs> support the police. You know, there's all these things that you could do for their, your country type stuff. So we set that baseline. For that uh for the next teams to to come in and uh you know i think that mission's still going on Um, that's that's real interesting because you're like the first um
0: military group on the ground right yeah right and And then how was it there how what was the
1: situation so we were in we were in kiev in the capital and we were pretty much a, a long way away from the um where all the a lot of the fighting was going on we weren't allowed to even go near the, the front lines of the fighting to even like get with our NGOs or see how these um, group, these, these, basically these civilian groups that were getting information to the front lines, or even there, you had, you had civilians that were uh, delivering ammo, delivering food, delivering medical supplies to the front lines of these, of the uh, Ukraine army. Mm-hmm. So we weren't allowed to really go out there. So what we had to do was when something would go down we'd have like a representative from each of the groups would come back and we would do like kind of like a you know an info dump and (coughs) we get all their information and then you know put it in our plan and stuff like that so we were isolated in the in the capital but we had our contacts out there that were you know in the in the fight doing that so it was uh it was good that we you know were able to plan for we did a lot of forward planning to get when other teams come in they had a program to go off of mm-hmm. and uh then we started building relationships with the uh, the uh the ministry of defense so we were able to like help them with their psyop stuff because mm-hmm. once when crimea fell all their like stuff got taken away like their computers their laptop i mean everything got taken away from them for their planning so they had nothing and when we came in we were able to help them out with uh planning and uh uh, product, products and stuff like that. So,
0: I mean, uh, <clears throat> there's a, you know, when you, when you get to the point where you're looking at the tail end of your career and this is your last deployment right? That was your last one.
1: Uh, it was my second to last. Okay. Deployment. And, and so you, uh, well, wait, what was your last one? So I went to, uh, I was, it was, oh, it was I'll really No, no, no. I was in, uh, I was, I was at SOC here, uh, special operations command in Europe for six yeah. months. Okay and we were supporting what was going on in, uh, in like the balkans and stuff like that. So. Okay, okay. So how many trips did you do total? Um a lot. It was maybe like a handful maybe, but it, but then you had all your like your your TDYs in there and stuff yeah, like that. yeah, so it yeah. was a, it was a lot of You did, you did a know, lot of traveling. A lot of traveling, yeah. So then you
0: get to the point now where you're make you're on the out and we started communicating and then you're like, I'm gonna come work with Phil Crass Survival. Yeah,
1: I I made sure that you know after I got when I left Libya, I made sure I stayed in touch with Mike, and I guess he was one of the hardest dudes to keep in touch with. So, um, I you know I found him, I flagged him down, I got with his mom to get the, his phone number, his emails, and I kept in touch with him. And I was like, yo, I you know uh, he started when he started Fieldcraft, Phil I was like, that's so that's awesome. I mean, I, I was a big supporter, and then. Once uh, he got established, and I was like, "Hey, uh, so what's up? I want to retire." And he was like, "Yeah, you got a job here," so which was pretty awesome. Because once I left, uh, I did I did another rotation to Germany with my like last rotation, and then I came back and I said, "Hey, I was going through a divorce at the time, and I'm like, I need to I just need to get my shit together, you know, like with the kids and the house, and it was just a lot of responsibilities that I couldn't leave again, like another six months, because everything was just fall apart. So. Mm-hmm. I went back to the schoolhouse and I was an instructor at the uh, operational design course and that's when I started like getting with Mike like hey I'm I'm going to retire and uh so that's when he kind of like was like okay you're going to come work for me and I'm like okay well, what am I going to do and he's like oh, you do this you do that you know you do this
0: you do that <laughs> um, and so you 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 packed your family and you went you drove across the country and then here you are mm-hmm. and so uh how do you feel being out man what's what's it feel like being um,
1: out I, I think the last, you know, I, I decided to retire in January. Yeah. So I dropped my packet, and then from there, basically, I kind of, I, I honestly, I could say I, I checked out. You know, I did my jobs. You know, I did my time when I needed to be on the podium and, and teach. I did that. But other than that, I mean, I checked out. I was getting my house ready to for sale, which is still for sale, mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of getting everything together Uh, with, you know, moving out here and and starting a whole new life. So I love it. it it's great. I mean, I, I had a great time in my 20 years. Um I met a lot of good cool people, did a lot of cool things and um but it just feels real good to be a, be out and just a it's been a nice transition to come in and working with you, Kurt, Addison and the whole field craft team. It's just been like a warm welcome. So uh it's just a great opportunity and I just been blessed. So I mean,
0: are you having problems sleeping? Are you like because uh, you you had a routine that was pretty I had, sit and stop? But you have a good you had a good depra- uh, decompression time, right? I yeah, mean, I like had said, you know you
1: know, I, you know I go I go back to Swick for three years, but at the same time it's just like I, I can't like sleeping is a uh, it's hard. Like I will fall asleep at night easy, but then I'm up at like one for a couple hours or i wake up at three for a couple hours and it's just, I like, can't get that back to sleep. Once I'm up, I'm up. And it's just like, it sucks. But, um, I'm just trying to more, I guess, relax more, which is probably the problem. I'm not relaxed. I'm still like anxious and, uh, just saying that anxiety of like, I want to do good here at this job but I want to get fired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're, it's just the, like that. you're
0: just right on the cusp, but yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, we can make up for it.
1: It's that, that, that transition of, uh, you know, getting out and I want to, you know, that, it's a whole new world out here, you know.
0: Yeah, it's you know you're. I, I'm anticipating you know it. Being a civilian is, you know, what I talked about with the psychologist on the last podcast is is difficult. It's not easy being a civilian. The military actually gives you all these afforded opportunities mm-hmm. and, and instills discipline because you have no other choice. Right. It's easy to discipline somebody who doesn't have another uh, another choice. And when your whole entire schedule, including eating, um, living is mm-hmm. dictated to you, and then you get out, and you're like, yeah, right, what nothing, do I do now? Yeah, I'm nothing to do. Yeah, so you know, and you know, conforming to some kind of routine is a is a way to alleviate kind of those issues. I sat on my ass for a period of time when I got off active duty, waiting on the word from a government agency mm-hmm. to to make some decisions. And so it was difficult for me because I just had all this lull time. But when you come in here
1: and you won't go straight to work, it helps a lot. You know? Yeah, that's what I did. I didn't take a, like, they are like, oh, you're retired now. Take a month. I was like, I don't have, I can't afford to take a month off. I don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah. Put me to work, you know. Yeah. Because even when, like, it, it, when I was in there for, you know, I did 20 years, and it just se- seemed like I couldn't I couldn't relax. I couldn't settle because I felt like, even, even when I was at the schoolhouse, I felt like, I couldn't settle down to like do a hobby, or I couldn't settle down to take time and like yeah, you could never because I thought to something anything. was going to happen, and I know nothing was going to happen. But yeah, well, it did. War happened, yeah. and the trips. So you could
0: never really get comfortable exactly. in anything. And it's, they were
1: easy trips. Some of the trips were really easy, but at the same time, it's it's easy to me because I'm used to it. But yeah, I'm leaving like my kids. You're I'm leaving, leaving everything, right? Yeah, and I'm like I'm, I'll, I'll leave for a month at a time, but still, that month is I'm gone, and I you know shit happens within that month. You know, like. Yeah. Having having two kids and you know, I uh, got remarried in April and just having a new wife, it's like a, you have a lot more responsibility now. K- kids are getting older, they're they're seeing things, they know things. So when you're gone, it's like oh, But shit. now you're not gonna be gone. Your yeah, kids now are moving up here. So kids are moving in, yeah, moving uh, next month or so and uh, So so what is the
0: I mean what's the future look like now? What's your big what's your big journey gonna look like in the next 10, 20 years?
1: Uh hopefully grow with this company. See what happens, but you know I have a a baby boy on the way, so and just taking care of my family and just and just raising them and enjoying life, right? Oh, enjoying life, exactly. Being peaceful, enjoying life. I think that's awesome. Man, do you have any regrets in the from the your time in service? Uh, You know, if if I I don't like having regrets, I don't like looking at my life like that because you know whatever I did in in my life, I chose to do that. I'm an adult, I chose to do that. You know, there was a time when I was a young E five E six where I was like you can leave, stop, you go, you know, go SF. You know, so I talked to the recruiter or it was like, go be a pilot, black Hawk helicopter pilot. And I'm just like, and I just never had that. I don't know what it was. I was missing that little bit that just said, just go for it. Cause I was married at the time and I was always leaving and it was just a different, I, I had a different mentality where I was like, you know, this would have been cool. I could have done this and that. But at the same time, I stayed PSYOP and I, I enjoyed it. I had great uh, deployments, great trips, great people. So I, honestly, I, I can't say I, have, I don't have any regrets. It, it, it happens. Life happens. You make your choices and you just got to live with it. So, because yeah. if I had, you can't live with regret. If you do that, you're going it, to, it's just not healthy for your, you know. Your, you know, just your everyday life, my mindset, I'm not going to like dwell on the past. Yeah, there's no reason to do that. No. What's the greatest lesson that you took away from the military? I think the greatest lesson would be is, you know, it's not that serious. Even though you're going on these missions and and even when people were shooting at you, it just wasn't, it was very just, not, it wasn't that serious. I knew my job, I knew what I had to do. And it was like, you had to take the time to like step back and like think and say, you know, say to yourself it's not that it's not that serious you're you're here to have some fun you know relax so everyone's so wound tight it's just it's not healthy for you yeah i I like to have fun but i'll also get the work done i mean even when we you know you saw me in livia we i hustled all the time over there you know getting those contracts done and getting shit for our villa if it broke i mean it was that that was easy to me that was fun to me so Mm. it's making
0: it's making a uh Yeah, people try to overwhelm themselves before they even end the fight. They're like, I know, they just say these things like this is the worst thing. This is the – it's like, come on,
1: man. It's not that – Yeah. Yeah. I remember the time we had where our power went out for three days, and we had our generator, and we were making ramen noodles through the coffee – Mm-hmm. We Coffee with box. the hot, you know, we added our cheese and our egg, and it was legit. It was the best time yeah, I've had. In
0: making the, the best of the the worst times. Yes. The, what would be considered the worst times for most people? Um, what is uh, uh, moving forward? What's your like? What's your mission statement moving forward? Do you have
1: one? Uh, I think right now is expanding on this job I have now and being able to. Uh, Produce for the company to you know. I, I want to be a a part of it. I want to be a productive member of this company and show you that you know my worth. So I mean that's pretty much what it is. And just just raise my family and and, and to have a good time while I'm in Prescott. So yeah, absolutely. Well, you're not going anywhere. No, no this sure. is it. This is where I'm at. I, this Prescott, Arizona is. I tell you what, it's beautiful here. It's if you haven't I been, it, I mean, come visit. It's uh, it's amazing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. The weather is perfect. Every way, every day I drive to work. Just the scenery alone, just it just calms you, you know. You, the mountains, the wide openness, and yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, you could be in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Yeah, that's where I will never go back there. Never. Well, George, I
0: appreciate having you on the podcast. Oh, man. I appreciate you having me. Uh, it was a good experience. Now you got to get back to work and yep. actually do
2: something. I will.
0: Uh, well, if you guys want to hear more from George or, or check him out, he actually has an Instagram account, we made him get one. It's George underscore Team Philcraft, George underscore Team Philcraft. And you guys can check him out and uh, see what he's up to. Uh, he's running all logistics for uh, Philcraft Survival, which includes media, retail space, everything that we got going on. Um, if you guys haven't uh, heard, we're starting a retail space and uh, the soft launch is somewhere in November during the expo. If you're not a Philcraft Survival membership member, you can get a monthly subscription now at $29.99 or a dollar a day. Which includes content includes webinars a whole bunch of different stuff and benefits that you can find out on PhilcraftSurvival.com. and then we have a free expo as part of that uh, package that you can go to spring and fall the next one will be november 16 17 and 18 here in prescott arizona and then the uh, follow-on will be somewhere on the east coast uh, in springtown next spring 2019 uh, but yeah appreciate you, t- you guys tuning in appreciate uh, all the support and love Uh, PhilcraftSurvival.com, PhilcraftMobility.com. Until next time, stay alert. Stay alive. Oh, you did that. You did that right.